Welcome to Love, Lead, Listen, a podcast from Alpha Gamma Delta. I'm your host, Emily Bice. Join us as we discuss topics that affect women of today and examine the ways that we can be women with purpose. Hello, and welcome back to Love, Lead, Listen. Today's guest is Teresa Gruber, the Director of Employee Engagement at Feeding America, which is one of Alpha Gamma Delta's philanthropic partners in fighting hunger. Teresa, welcome. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here with you today. We are so excited to have you, especially as now in September is Hunger Action Month. It is, and we're excited about it. It may be a little bit different than it has been in past years, simply because of the pandemic that we are all in the middle of, but uh, we are excited about it, and it's such an important month for us to help bring awareness of the issue of hunger across the United States. Well, Teresa, to start off, can you tell me a, a little bit about what Feeding America is for those of our listeners that might not know? Certainly, certainly. Thank you. So, Feeding America is the largest hunger relief organization in the United States. We have a network of 200 member food banks and 60,000 food pantries and meal programs across the country that provide 40 million people with food every year. Feeding America also supports programs that prevent food waste and improve food security among people we serve. We educate the public about the problem of hunger, and of course, we advocate for legislation that protects people from going hungry. We serve people across the country of every segment of the population, so children, families, individuals, veterans, seniors, college students, and that is in urban, suburban, and rural areas. We are, of course, um, since the beginning of March, our work has increased enormously due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but we continue to meet that need. And I do want to just take a moment to say thank you to Alpha Gamma Delta, because you are such fantastic supporters of our work with 11,600 hours volunteered last year and over $176,000 donated in grants to the Feeding America Food Banks. So I do want to say thank you for that support. It is tremendous and it is greatly appreciated. Those are just amazing numbers to think about that those are ways that Alpha Gams have been contributing to the world's work in their communities. Yes, and it is greatly appreciated and really needed, especially now. We know at this time we need every partner that we can bring into the issue of hunger to help us meet the demand that that's taken place. Of course, you know, prior to COVID-19, there were 37 million people that struggled with hunger. We estimate that that number will be at, by the end of the year, will be at 54 million people. 18 million of them will are children. We anticipate the number of seniors will p- potentially climb to 7 million from the 5.5 million it was pre-COVID-19. Those sound like some pretty big upticks. They are. So as I mentioned, we saw in, in March an enormous surge in demand for food. But at the same time, we were also seeing a drastic reduction in the donation of food items that come from retailers and manufacturers. So if you'll think back to March and mm-hmm. April, consumers were clearing store shelves. A lot of that, 
ends up typically, the food that was purchased typically ends up being donated into our system from retailers. So if you volunteered in our food banks, you know that when you're sorting food, they ask you to sort by the best buy dates or the Mm -hmm. expiration dates. And so that food um, that's close to expiration comes from retailers and manufacturers. With COVID-19, we no longer receive that food. So a drastic drop in food donations, which meant that we then had to purchase food, shelf-stable food. At the same time, there was the an enormous drop in the number of volunteers. And as mm-hmm. you all know, we have more than 2 million volunteers in our food banks on a monthly basis. And so to go to almost zero overnight put an enormous burden on our food banks, so much so mm-hmm. that in some cases, it was simply the food bank staff and maybe their board of directors that were packing and distributing food in those early days of COVID-19. That must have been so difficult, especially considering I know in some of our local Indianapolis food banks, they were experiencing volunteer shortages because a lot of their volunteers tend to be in a higher risk population. So they weren't able to come out and volunteer anymore. Yes, that and that is a great point. It really presented challenge. What we were able to do in many locations across the country was work with the National Guard. And that was fantastic. So in the state of Ohio, for example, I believe it was the first or second week of March, all 11 food banks came together and they created a proposal requesting the help of the National Guard. And the National Guard went into all of those food banks immediately to serve and remained until through July. So it has been incredible help. But that's not been the case in every food bank across the country. So Mm -hmm. we ended up working with and signing a national agreement with Team Rubicon, which Mm -hmm. is a military membership organization. And they've been engaged in our food banks as well. But certainly they're also involved in COVID testing. So they've Mm -hmm. been spread quite thin across the country. And the need for volunteers continues. We're doing regular pulse surveys with our food banks. And as of the last survey, which is probably about three weeks old now, about half of our food banks are still saying we need volunteers and we're accepting volunteers. Mm -hmm. So certainly there are guidelines around that. We're following Mm -hmm. all the CDC guidelines for sanitation, for hygiene, and of course, include social distancing. And it looks a little differently than it has in the past, right? Some of those, uh, some of our food banks have only outside volunteer opportunities. So packing boxes outside and distributing outside. And so it's definitely our models have all changed. I like to say we had to pivot on our tried and true models and in some cases pivot on the pivot, right? Like many organizations are doing. So I mentioned a little bit about our volunteer model, but even our distribution model. So as you're familiar with, our food banks really distribute directly to those 60,000 pantries and meal programs. But when COVID happened, we, we actually had to turn that around a little bit and food banks became direct distribution centers. And the reason is about two thirds of those agencies are managed by people who are age 60 or older. And so they were asked to remain at home, as you recall, especially in those early months where far less was known about the virus. So food banks became direct distribution hubs. And we started 
perhaps you saw in San Antonio, they certainly were on the national news where they had 10,000 cars lined up for food distribution in 90 plus degree weather. And so that was a place where we had to pivot and create additional sites because, of course, it was a safety issue, bringing all those people together, but also just managing all of that traffic. So we had to change that model a little bit. And for seniors, we're actually working with Uber to deliver meals at home. Really? Yes, yes. And I want to point that out, right, because of the work that you do with Meals on Wheels and Mm -hmm. the support that you give for seniors who are struggling with hunger. And so we are actually working closely with Meals on Wheels, as we have in the past, but certainly their processes have changed too. And so we just had a recently had a meeting with them to talk about how they're working differently and how we can intersect even more than we have in the past. Because if there's ever a time where organizations have to change their operations and find new ways to work together, this is that time. And that's what's happening. It sounds like you are all just thinking of new ways to come together and serve these communities that need this help now more than ever, especially with the rise in unemployment. A lot of people now can't afford food the way that they used to be able to. Yes, you're right. You're right. And you know what we're seeing, too, is that the numbers of people that have never been in need of food assistance, they have never accessed the social safety net previously. And so initially, they weren't even sure where to get assistance. So it was food banks connecting people to local pantries or to the food bank itself. And then while at the food bank, providing opportunities for individuals to either register for SNAP if they qualify or other social services that they may need at this time. We've heard so many stories from people who have in the past given generously to food banks and perhaps have never lost a job in their entire working career. And so there's a huge emotional toll that comes with that. And it's something that our food banks have really handled masterfully is not only serving people with food, but really serving and helping them and serving. I heard one food banker refer to it as serving people's souls as well and giving them hope. And I want you to know that Alpha Gam as a partner of Feeding America is right in there with us. So every partner that we have and every person that we serve, you're there at that moment of serving that person. So again, I just want to take that moment to say thank you. It's so important for those people that need more than just the food, but also the emotional support and getting over that lifestyle change almost of you're going from working a nine to five in some cases to not having a job at all. And in a culture like ours, where we place so much value on your worth in your profession, that can be a really hard transition for some people. So I love that you are all trying to help them make that transition and helping them find other services so that they're able to hopefully get back on their feet and continue to survive in this time. Yes. You know, and and now is not a time where we can hug each other. 
So I, mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of the common response, right? Is that yeah. we're close to each other and we can hug each other. We can't do that. And so mm-hmm. the fact that our food banks are still able to provide that assistance and do it in a compassionate and understanding way and to provide dignity in it is, mm-hmm. is just, I admire them all so much. They are frontline workers who most likely when they decided to work for the food bank, never envisioned anything like this. Yeah. When I envision working or volunteering at a food bank, I'm thinking of packing up boxes or helping people shop. And there's a lot of cases where the food banks used to be like a shopping style, but now they're not. It's more of a, here's your box. Here you go. Yes. Yes. I don't necessarily think of the social aspect and the support aspect of it as much as I'm sure is involved. Yeah, yeah, it it is vital. It is something that we really strive to make sure that people understand. Yes, we understand that you're in need right now and we want to help you, but we want to help you in every way. And we want to make sure that you leave this distribution with hope. Well, I have a question for you, Teresa, in that we were talking a little bit about the surge in the need for more food bank opportunities. Have you seen an increase in minority populations needing these services since we know that COVID-19 is disproportionately affecting African-American communities specifically? Have you seen an uptick in the need in those communities? Yes. Thank you so much for this question. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. So prior to COVID-19, we knew that communities of color were disproportionately impacted by the issue of hunger, without a doubt. The MAP, the Meal Gap tool, actually shows that. And so, um, and that's something that you can find easily on feedingamerica.org. It's a map of the United States. You can hover over any county to see what the hunger statistics are. And just as a note, right now, we actually have the pre-COVID map. And if you click on the link at the very top, you can look at the statistics and how they've changed during COVID. But going back to your question, yes, we, we know that Black households um, are more likely to be food insecure, two and a half times more than white households. And with Hispanic households, it's two times more likely. In the Native American population, we know that one in four Native American people were food insecure prior to COVID-19. The statistic for the general population was one in nine. So without a doubt, communities of color were impacted prior to COVID-19 and are adversely affected not only by the virus, but by the issue of hunger during COVID-19. And there are a number of reasons that is the case. First and foremost, being structural and systemic racism and other inequities in the area of healthcare, education, and just opportunities. So We know at Feeding America, to achieve our vision of a hunger-free America, we have to address those root causes of hunger and truly deepen our understanding of structural and systemic inequities that disproportionately impact marginalized communities. What this means to us at Feeding America is not simply making a commitment statement, but actually creating actions to move forward on this. And so this is happening at Feeding America National Office, Mm -hmm. from our executive team all the way down and through our systems. And that includes reviewing policies, processes, and our culture, as well as throughout the network and working with our member food banks 
to also address this, to identify specific areas within their service area and to direct resources to those underserved areas. You know, it's actually one step further even. It's also making sure that the services we're providing are more culturally appropriate and they're being distributed, food is being distributed in a more culturally appropriate manner. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What does that mean to have food being distributed in a more culturally appropriate manner? So not every food bank and every agency operates the same way. So you you mentioned earlier having choice and, and individuals going into a food pantry where they actually have a shopping cart and they can they can choose their items. And in those, depending on where we are in, in the country, those items can be very similar, but in some areas there may be a request for, depending on the population, there may be a request for specific items that either haven't been available in that area, but the population requests and is used to eating and it is healthy and nutritious, or it's something, it's an item that might not be there on a regular basis. So it's making sure that we're really bringing the people that we're serving into the conversation to understand what their needs are and to provide the services that they need in order to either learn how to prepare certain foods that might not be a food that they eat all the time, but might be very healthy and could fit into their diet. Or it could just be providing the healthy food that particular food pantry or food bank has not had in the past. It's just really making it person-centered. I love the community-centered approach to it. Instead of saying, this is what you should eat, going in and looking at what do they want to eat and what fits into a nutritious and whole diet for that community and that population. Yes, yes, (laughs) it is important. It is important. Some of our food banks actually have been doing that for quite some time, but it really now is about having the conversation with all of our food banks and recognizing that COVID-19 has has something that, as I mentioned earlier, something that Feeding America and our food banks knew about communities of color, but COVID-19 has really unmasked that for the country. And as we've seen in the media, whether it, it's, it's on television or in um, newspaper articles, the New York Times certainly has had several articles about this, but it's making sure that we are responding to this and meeting people where they are and providing what they need. I think that's so important, especially in this time where you don't want to dehumanize someone by taking away their choices or their preferences. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there is one other point that I do want us to bring up, and it's simply because you may have seen it in the media, and this was early in March, but there were farmers across the U.S. that were dumping milk and Mm -hmm. plowing produce under because they weren't able to move it to market simply because restaurants had closed. And if they were supplying restaurants, there was no need for that food. And Mm -hmm. so we saw those articles too, right? The New York Times was the first to have that article. And we quickly, our government relations team quickly worked with the USDA and created the coronavirus food assistance program. It's called CFAP. And that program was, believe it or not, created in a three-week period, which is unheard of for a federal program. But what it 
provided was a way for Feeding America food banks to get connected to that food and get it into our distribution channels. And that program is working in many places around the country. Food rescue is a focus for us all year round. And that was a great opportunity to work with the USDA and to have that as they created that program. And I should add too, that even as adjustments have been needed because we've received feedback from our food banks and we've been able to share that with the USDA, they have made changes and improved the program. So it's even more efficient. That is so good to hear. And I remember seeing those stories and being so heartbroken because you know that there are communities out there and people out there that need that food. But Thank you. Thank you. We are too. We saw those same stories. And that was, I think that was a, a weekend. And by that Monday, the first call had already been made to the USDA. So it, it moved very, very quickly. And that was exciting for us. You know, it also speaks to having a very long and nonpartisan relationship in Washington, D.C. And certainly as a 501c3, we, we have to be nonpartisan. But to have that relationship with the USDA pre-COVID-19 made it that much easier to create, help them create that program and then get access to that food. So it's, it's huge kudos to our government relations team. If we have a listener that is listening in and they're getting really riled up by all this and they want to help fight food insecurity with Feeding America, what can they do? How can they help? There are a number of ways to help. And there are really three areas, right? In giving, volunteering, and advocacy opportunities. So in giving, what we did in March, Feeding America National Office created the National COVID-19 Response Fund. And that is just feedingamerica.org slash coronavirus. And you can make a charitable donation to the general fund. And I want to share that all of the funds that were donated to that site go 100% back to the 200 member food banks. And it goes back to the food banks based on what their needs are. So I mentioned earlier the pulse surveys that we've been doing with our food banks. Early on, we were doing a weekly survey with them to get a sense of what their needs were in funding, in food, and volunteers. And so the grants were distributed. They started the 23rd of March, and that was, the first grant was a $4 million grant. And that went to 81 of the 200 food banks because those were the food banks in greatest need. In fact, because of the type of network we have and that it, it's so interconnected and collaborative, some of our more resourced food banks actually said to Feeding America, help the smaller food banks, lesser resource food banks first. We will let you know. And so it, it's been it's been remarkable to be part of this network and and just hear a response like that. It's not surprising from this network, but just really it was heartwarming, especially in March when it seemed like everything was the end of the world. And so um, you may have felt that also <laughs> in March. So we do we do have that that opportunity for giving. And then, of course, volunteerism. As I mentioned earlier, our food banks are still in need of volunteers. And that does shift 
left some food banks. So, for example, the Atlanta Community Food Bank just let me know this morning they are not taking food banks or, or volunteers, excuse me, within the food bank at this time, but they mm -hmm. do have off-site distributions that are smaller. So maybe it might only be eight people or 10 people because we need to follow those guidelines of the CDC and no groups larger than 10. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it may be a smaller distribution, but they do have some off-site distributions that are happening and they do need volunteers for that. So the easiest way to find out if your local food bank is in need of volunteers is to visit their website. Their website will say front and center, whether they're taking volunteers and if they are, what the protocol is that they're following for safety and who can volunteer because certainly we are not taking volunteers that are under age 18 or older than age 60. And health and wellness within your home and travel are certainly some of the questions that are that are asked before a volunteer can register. But you can go right on their site and check their calendar and register right there and then. As I know, you and, and your, your members are all familiar with that process. And then that final area is advocacy. And so certainly September is Hunger Action Month. That is our big advocacy month during the year. And I would say typically, <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it, it still is this year, probably more important than it's ever been. And that is to help us build the awareness around the issue of hunger. And we've got a number of opportunities for engaging via advocacy during Hunger Action Month and actually through this entire COVID experience, and because they will continue. This is unlike any disaster we have ever faced before. Certainly Feeding America is engaged in national disasters. We work closely with FEMA and the Red Cross and other nonprofit partners during disaster, but those are usually restricted to certain geographic areas. And it could be California for wildfires. It could be Florida for a hurricane. But this is very different. It is all 50 states and Puerto Rico that we serve. And it is a national disaster. And it is all hands on deck is what it is at this point. And we just don't know where the end of this disaster is. And so advocacy will be an opportunity. All three of these areas will be an opportunity to continue to engage in. One specific item that I really like in the area of advocacy and that I think maybe your chapter members may enjoy is Una, we worked with Unilever and they created a digital thank you card that you can send to your local food bank. You can go online, personalize a thank you card, and then Unilever is printing them and sending them directly to the food bank. They actually just met with Unilever yesterday because they were only going to run this through the summer, but they've decided that they're going to run it through Hunger Action Month, have it available through the fall. So that is one that will certainly be available. Well, Teresa, we're at the point in our program where we like to ask all of our guests one question, which is, what is your purpose? Ooh, that is a great question. Wow, I, I like that question. So um, I think my first thought is that that's multifaceted. In the work that I do for Feeding America, my purpose is to end hunger. It is to get resources to people who are in need 
so that they can meet their full potential. And they can go into the world and they can they can share what's been shared with them and 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 just make the world a better place. What a fantastic purpose. <laughs> Thank you. So could I ask you that question? Because I'm so curious. You can. I have a friend that has been waiting for someone to ask me every week. She's like, someone's going to ask you. Someone's going to ask you. <laughs> well, I would say I would agree that purposes are multifaceted. And especially as someone that graduated college pretty recently, I think it's still fair to be finding your purpose. But I feel that right now, my purpose is to give a voice and lift up those women and people of color and those that need to have their voices lifted to help make a change in the world. And it's not even just lifting others' voices, but using my own voice for that as well. I think that it's time for there to be some changes in the world. And I feel that the only way to do that is to speak up. And right now I feel that that is my purpose. That is fantastic. I love that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on today and talking with us about all things hunger and feeding America's actions and fighting hunger and how we can be better partners in our own communities to our food banks and local organizations and how we can advocate for changes as well. Thank you. This has really been such a pleasure to join you this morning. And I, I thank you so much for the opportunity. And I want to thank everyone again that's listening to this podcast and all the, the members of Alpha Gamma Delta. Thank you so much for all of the support that you give in all of those ways, through giving, volunteerism, and advocacy. You are making a difference. And as I said earlier, every person that we assist, you are right there in that work with us. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, and we will definitely put some links down below in the resources of this episode. So make sure to check out podcast at alphagamadelta.org to see those resources and see how you can volunteer, how you can advocate. We'll include that link that Teresa had mentioned about the cards. So go check those out and let's all fight hunger together on this month. That is Hunger Action Month. Love, Lead, Listen is recorded and produced at Alpha Gamma Delta International Headquarters and is generously funded by the Alpha Gamma Delta Foundation. Episodes are released every two weeks, so make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss out on any of our episodes. If you like this show, make sure to rate us five stars on iTunes, and don't forget to share it with your friends. If you have an idea for a future episode or any other feedback, send us an email at podcast at alphagammadelta.org. I'm your host, Emily Bice, and that's all for today. See you next time.